actually one of my favorite hymns. Scripture today comes from Jeremiah, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails, so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Bless his word this morning. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving week. I just want to ask a question. Does it seem a little dark to you guys in here? A little bit? I just thought what my eyes. I've had so much turkey and ham and stuff that I thought maybe it was affecting my eyeballs, but maybe not. My sister Terry is going to inherit what I consider to be the most famous heirloom in our family, and that is our 56-year-old Christmas tree. Blizzards, power outages, being knocked over by us when we were kids playing with the dog, opening the door by accident, knocking the tree over. I can't tell you the pounds of tinsel that has went on that old tree over the years. How its branches have stood up, I'll never know. This tree has lived in at least six different homes over the years. Some of my family and friends think I'm very weird as I remember elements about Christmas time as a child. Maybe it's my imagination as I'm growing older. Maybe what I think happened didn't happen, but in my mind it happened, and that's the way I portray it. But they think I'm weird at things I remember, like the tree skirt. From the tree skirt to the 1970 tree topper, I remember massive things about that tree. I remember the lights going around the tree, all the colors there was. I remember the presents, how they were sitting under the tree and lined up under the tree. I remember where the presents were because one year we had so many presents, Mom and Dad uh, put some of them in the kitchen. They were bicycles and stuff. I remember the color of the paper at Christmas time, how the paper looked and all the different colors that were under that tree. People just think it's weird that I remember those things. And as I got older and me and Amy had kids, I wanted to instill within my boys the things that I remember about my Christmases and hopefully their Christmas traditions would be better and their life experiences at Christmas time would be better than mine in a sense that they would remember it and have fun during Christmas time. I wanted my boys to have the same memories. Especially when we moved back home. Now, me and Amy, we were gone for a lot of years, so we weren't around her family, and we weren't around my family. The way we did it was, one year we would go to Florida for a holiday, the next year we'd go to Ohio for a holiday. We didn't have to fight and bicker about who we was going to see every two hours and how much food we was going to have to eat. We was kind of in a perfect situation. One year we go there, the next year we go there. And so when we moved home, I was so excited to do the same things for my boys that my mom and dad done for me when it was time to go to grandpa and grandma's house, living in gratis. I remember the way the moon looked, the sky, the stars, how beautiful the night was. And we went the same way every time, and we got the same story come back every time. So when the boys, when we moved to Eaton and we got to travel to my mom and dad's house the first time, 
I remember talking to the boy saying, I hope you guys enjoy this. We're going to Grandpa and Grandma's house. Hopefully each one of you get a Hot Wheel tonight. That's what I got when I was little, a Hot Wheel. And my youngest son would always say, Dad, turn left. I'm like, why do we want to turn left? Forgetting that I wanted to have better experiences than me. I was mad. Why do I want to turn left? I asked him a few years ago, Andrew, why did you always want to turn left to go to Grandpa and Grandma's house? Because it was faster, Dad, and we needed to get there. So I wanted to instill that within my boys and in my marriage, and we just did certain things to say, I hope your Christmases, you remember them like your dad did. But then I got older and started pastoring. And when I started pastoring, I pastored in several different traditions and several different ways, and I was confronted with two what I considered to be very important issues. The first one from my own tradition. Now, I've told you guys at least a thousand times I'm old-time Pentecost. And in old-time Pentecost, if you as a boy, your hair got measured. If it touched your ear, that's a no-go. So my old friends would say, you are nothing but a pagan, and you worship an idol. How can you have a Christmas tree in your house, and how can you have it all decorated up and then bowing down to that tree? You're an idol worshiper, Brian, and you shouldn't be doing that in your home. I was really concerned about that because when I did pastor an old-time church, we decorated the church. And I was really nervous about what are they going to think about this preacher. I did get the bishop called on me, and he asked me what I was doing. I, I did get that. I got confronted, but I held my ground about Christmas time and asked him, just wait me out. Just wait it out and see if God don't work with us through the Christmas time. So that was my own tradition in growing up and being a pastor, being called an idol worshiper. And I always thought it was weird I worked over at a place called Preble Lumber. Are you guys familiar with that? It used to be here in, in West Alexandria. And I was over there. I was a forklift driver. Why they let me drive a forklift, I'll never know. But I did. And they was getting ready to have our Christmas party. And we was in there talking about our traditions. And I was looking so forward to Christmas time, going home with the boys and, you know, wrapping presents in the whole nine yards. And this little old German Baptist dude, an elder, came right up beside me. And he says, young man, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child, and when I become an old man, I put away childish ways. He proceeded to quote to me 1 Corinthians 13 and said I needed to grow up, that I wasn't a believer. Now, here I am, pastoring a brethren church from the German Baptist, and I got this German Baptist lighting me up about me being a child. And I said, well, go ahead, just take a dagger in my heart. Just take it all out of me. That you would say, I think as a child, because I love Christmas so much. And so this morning, I want to address both of these issues, maybe for my own sake, uh, just to put it out there for you, as we head into the Christmas season. Because next week, I believe Saturday, sometime Saturday, the crew's going to get together, and we're going to light this thing up back here. <laughs> we're going to light it up with Christmas trees and all the things for the Advent season. And I hope you do the same thing in your home. So I want to make sure I address this as we head into Advent. We light the Advent candles to try to put together these two things that I was told. The old timers like to use Jeremiah chapter 10 and also Deuteronomy 16 about planting trees in front of the sanctuary of God. But here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, God establishes the parameters for the children of Israel. It's always asked, how am I as a believer to live in culture? 
This is what you go to seminary for. How do you relate to those around you? Do you do everything they do? You Do you not do everything they do? So in Jeremiah chapter 10, God says, Now, hey, you guys are about to go into a bad situation. You're going to a nation that worships all kinds of false gods and does false things. And here I'm going to set the parameters for how you're to live while you're in this situation. And in verse 2, this is what he says. He says, Do not follow their ways. They allow comets and eclipses or meteors to guide their life. They'd see a comet fly through the air. And they'd say, oh, this is our God. And this is the way God wants us to go. They would look at the stars, the sun, and the moon, and all these things. And they would bow down and worship those things. And God says, take no heed to that. Do not be like them because they are worshiping a false god. The stars, we're going to talk about the star of Bethlehem. The moon and the sun. They all manifest the glory and the honor of God, but they are not to be worshipped as if they are God. So, you know, people do look for stars at a sign, but it's not something you worship or you bow down to. He says, don't do that because those things are nothing. And then in verses 3 and 5 through 5, he kind of describes the things about these false gods. He says, first, these customs are vain. What they're doing in their worship, God says, don't, just don't worry about it. In other words, he says, you're going to go down, you're going to cut the, what is called a Christmas tree, you're going to cut the tree down. They go out, they look at this tree, they cut it down, and they begin to tear the tree up. And as they're cutting all the limbs and all this stuff off the tree, they set the tree upright. And they decorate this tree and they put a picture of someone on this tree, and they say, this is our God. This is what we will worship and this is what we will bow down to. And God says, don't do that. These customs are not right. It is not the way I've taught you, trained you, or brought you up. Pay no attention to what they're doing. He says, they live and die by their own creation. They go down. They chop it down. They go and they decorate it. They do all the work. They set it up. And they say, you are now my God. Please help me out. They live and die by their own creation. He says, but this tree, this tree has no power to do good, and this tree has no power to do evil. When they set this tree up in their temple, and they bow down and worship it, and they beg it to move on their behalf, the tree kind of says, no. It can't do good, and it can't do bad. It has no life within itself to help these people out. And he says, don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of their tradition. Don't be afraid of what you're going through. I can kind of see why they would be troubled. Israel worshiped a God that you couldn't see. He's spirit. And God puts them in this bad situation where they're taken captive. All these people are saying, see, this God that we're building brought you here to serve us. And we will honor and worship this tree. And God says, don't worry, I'm coming. And it won't be through an idol. But worships of idols had plagued the people of God since Egypt. In the, uh, when they was brought out of bondage, everything that God did to the Egyptians was based on a God. They believed in the God through the Nile River. God made the river go bad. Everything they believed that was their God and they worshiped the King of kings and Lord of lords, he put that God down and he inflicted plagues on the people all around. So they saw all these idols. And they couldn't figure out, how do we worship a God we can't see or don't know? We have to have something tangible that we can grab a hold of and say that you're my God. But God says, no, I'm a spirit. I'm not like these other made, created gods. 
So they've seen all this and they witnessed that. The other thing they seen and witnessed was the nation of Israel, they wanted a king. God said, I want to be your king and your king only. And Israel says, no, we want to be a nation like every other nation, so give us a king. And the Lord says, if I give you a king, he's going to tax you, he's going to treat you bad, and he's going to rule over you with a ruthless hand. And Israel says, we don't care, we want a king. They've seen idols, they've seen how the Pharaoh ruled Egypt, and they've seen what was going on in the other nations, and they says, we want the same thing as them. And God says, I want to be your Lord and your king. He says, I want to rule over you. And they said, no, you must give us a king. Still, the children of Israel needed some symbol that could cling to help them in their faith. Now, I'm just going to break it down as flat as I can. Uh, and if you get mad at me, okay, let me know after communion service and after we get ready to go out to church. But the Bible is full of symbols. You don't think they had a symbol? A cloud by day led them out of Egypt, did it not? A fire by night led them right to the promised land. They had a tabernacle. They had a temple. Within the tabernacle and temple, they had labors that they washed their hands in. They sacrificed animals. They had candles in there. They had showbread in there. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had the Ten Commandments. All of these were symbols that was used to help them grow in their faith. God had to relate to them, in my opinion, in some way that they could understand. He was spirit. They had never seen him. They had heard through tradition what he had done in the lives of people. But they didn't know that until they got the word of God and could read it for themselves. So symbols was always used to help the people of God to understand and know God. But those symbols were not to be worshipped. They were not to be bowed down to. Only the king of glory was to be worshipped. And he could be worshipped and honored from anywhere. Symbols also have been used throughout church history to communicate the gospel. One of the symbols in the New Testament was Paul. I believe it was Acts chapter 17 when he went into what was called the temple of the unknown God. They have all their idols around that they're going to worship and bow down to an honor. But they had one little sign in case they missed a God. It says to the unknown God. We don't want to miss another God if there's one out there, so we'll put this up there to cover our bases. Kind of like when we die, we want to cover all of our bases, so we just start shouting out a lot of stuff, right? We start begging and pleading for anything to help us because we want to help. So they said, here's our unknown God, just in case we miss a God. Paul comes in, he says, let me tell you about this symbol that you have up here, this unknown God. And he begins to preach Christ. As he preaches Christ, some people are saved. Some people walk off and say, Paul, you are crazy. Fish. We have fish. Fish was a symbol in the early church to feed the hungry, take care of people. They used that to tell the story of Christ and what he did to feed the multitudes. They used the sign of the cross. They used all kinds of things in the New Testament church to show that they were believers or to share with other people what it meant to come to Christ. Sometimes they did certain things so that when Rome came in and said, we want to be a part of your church service, they made them do a symbol. If they didn't have the right symbol, they wouldn't let them in because they knew that they was going to get killed for their faith. Symbols have been a part of church history forever. So in about the year 723, there's this guy named St. Boniface. He goes to the German people, and they worship the god called Thor. And I know all the ladies like Avengers and like Thor. He's got all the muscles. 
So they all worship this god called Thor, who is portrayed by a green Christmas tree, and this tree gives life. Oh, Boniface got a little upset. There's only one true God, and I'm going to tell you about him. He kind of did like Elisha did. He went down, he chopped down that tree, and they said, Thor's going to kill this fella. He's chopping down that tree. He throws it down and says, now let me tell you about the one and only true God. He spoke to them Christ, his death and his resurrection, and many of them came to Christ, and he used a little wreath to kind of help them know that there's only one true God. He used a symbol to bring people to Christ. And a lot of people believe this is where the Christmas tree started at. But for me, the Christmas tree in symbol tells a story. I didn't get this from any writings or nothing like that. This just comes from my heart and who I am and me growing up. But I believe the Christmas tree tells a story. The skirt at the bottom of the tree, all dabbled in red. Some skirts are all red. Some are just got red, all you know, dabbled in red around it. But the red tells me that there was bloodshed. That the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for the sin of mankind. And all under that tree, I witness a little bit of red. That he died for me. Then under that tree is all kinds of gifts and presents. And all these presents and gifts are wrapped in different colored paper. The gifts speak to me about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. There is no great big gift and there is no little gift. They are gifts that God gives to his people for his glory and his honor for the edifying of the church. And you know when we go shopping for our kids or for our spouse, most of us want to tell them right away what we're going to give them. We can't wait for them to open that package up and to be blessed on Christmas Day. We want to tell them right away. God wants to give good gifts to his children. That's what Jesus says. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those of us who ask him? Under that tree and all those presents and all those collars are gifts of the Spirit that he wants to give to his people. The colored lights. All around the tree. Now, I grew up in the 70s, and your light bulbs are probably that big, that big around. Them jokers shined. They shined through your house, into the yard, into the next house. The whole town was lit up. But all those colored lights going up around that tree reminds me of all kinds of people that God saves. I know the trees are yellow, green, purple, and all that. But God saves white people. He saves black people. He saves brown people. He don't discriminate. All around that tree is all these different kind of lights that God wants to save and he wants to touch. He does it because of the skirt. He gives it through his spirit because of all the presence. And now all these lights are wrapped around that tree, giving light into the world of what God can do in one's life when they come to Jesus Christ. The branches speak to me. They reach out to people everywhere. On those branches are all the lights of God's people. Those branches reach out. They reach out and say, you can come to the light, you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can know him as Savior. The branches reach out to people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, nowadays, I grew up in the 70s, we had what was called the tree topper. It was a single thing that went around and then it went single back up, did it not? But in that middle, it had like a star or something fancy in there. But the tree topper tells me about heaven. He died. He gave gifts to his people. All kinds of people can be saved. He reaches out to the world. And that tree topper with all of its bright light and what it has points to the heavens. 
And when it points to the heaven, it talks about the beauty of God's creation. This is what he's doing in Jeremiah. He says, the stars are beautiful. The moon is beautiful. All these things are beautiful. And you can look to the heavens and you can look to the skies. But all you see in that is the glory of my creation and what I want to do. They are not to be worshipped or bowed down to. But they are to be respected because all those things point to me and who I am and what I want to do in people's lives. The tree topper points to the heavens and the beauty of God's creation. The Christmas tree tells the story of a life-giving, loving God who cares about every aspect of every person's life. Throughout Advent, we learn about how God has saved our lives. We'll light a different candle every Sunday and read a scripture, faith, hope, love. And we'll learn what God wants to do and how he's touched us through his son, Jesus Christ. And on Christmas Day, I really hope that families, as you gather in your homes together, that you read the word of God and read the Christmas story, how Jesus came to be, how he was born on Christmas Day. And you take a moment to honor God and lift him up and say, Lord, I thank you. For the birth of your son. Make that a part of your Christmas day. To give him the glory and the honor. For what he's done in you and your family's life. I can think of no better way. To get ready for Advent. Than to talk about my second point. And that is this morning. This morning we are about to receive communion. Communion. Is a symbol of the death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we gather around the communion table and we remember what he done on that old rugged cross. And we look at that bread and we look at that cup and we say, Lord, we thank you for what you've done on our behalf. So when that old dude told me I was a little child that I needed to grow up, I just want to throw a thought at you this morning. When it comes to that, And we receive communion. After all, was it not in childlike faith that you and I came to Christ and he changed our lives forever? Thank you. I think I'll stay a child. Because it's a child that loves him, that serves him, that follows him, that he blesses. And it was childlike faith when I said, I need help. I need you. Would you please come into my life? It didn't take no sophisticated adult to tell me I needed a savior. I just simply came in childlike faith. And in childlike faith, he changes us forever. So thank God for childlike faith. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our lives, for that you've changed our lives forever. I thank you that the symbols that you use, that we don't worship those symbols, but it's a way for us to learn and grab a hold of you and say, you are real and you are true and you are God of God and Lord of Lords. As we head into the Advent season and reflect on your birth for coming into this world and changing our lives forever and that we've accepted you in childlike faith, So too this morning, Lord, we come to the communion table to give you the glory and the honor that's due your name. What better way to enter the Christmas season than today to receive the greatest gift of all, the one who died for us. 
And we all do that, Lord, in childlike faith. We do that when we come to you. We ask you, Lord, this morning to be with us in this part of the service. Speak to our hearts as we partake of what you've done on our behalf, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.